As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Shamrock, brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I'm Pete Sampson, joined in person by Matt Fortuna uh, at the University Visitors Guest Suite on Floor 9 of the Notre Dame Press Box after Notre Dame's 31-16 win over USC. I don't, I don't know if there were a lot of revelations tonight, but there was certainly some progress uh, offensively. Defensively, why don't we just get the Kyle Hamilton part out of the way now? Uh, Brian Kelly said a pinched fat pad in the knee, which I'd never even heard of as an injury. Or a body part. Or a body part. <laughs> but um, the prognosis would be optimistic. Will he play against North Carolina? It's unclear. Um, but considering what knee injuries typically are, that could have been season ending. It appears that it's not. So Notre Dame, by virtue of that, comes out of that this game with pretty much everything in front of it. Um, and I think not only do they have stuff to build on, they actually built on something tonight. Like they made, they took a step forward in a way that they've sort of been waiting to for the better part of two months. Absolutely. I think you buried the lead in this guest suite. We have a fridge stocked with beer <laughs> behind us, which um, I promise we won't drink during this podcast or on our drive home, although that would be more interesting and lively than anything that happened tonight. I mean that in a good way, Pete. I mean, this was like, this was an Notre Dame football team that I think, like, all of us fans, everyone wanted to see. Like, just a, a stress-free game where you assert yourself from the very first drive, establish that you're the better team, and save for a, a couple late USC touchdowns, never really had any doubt about how this one was going to play out. I mean, I, I don't know if we could say this about really any game they've played this year. We've said it again and again after every single game. Every midweek podcast, every game has been almost a season unto itself where we learn something new. Um, one thing we thought would be a strength turns into a weakness. The ground game takes a step back. Well, they've taken massive steps forward yep. the last two weeks. And um, look, I think both teams left a few points on the board, but at the end of the day, Notre Dame won by 15 points, and that felt appropriate. I mean, they, they were the better team, and they didn't really leave much doubt about that. No, and I think that uh, what Tommy Reese was able to get out of Jack Cohn tonight and Jack Cohn was able to get out of Tommy Reese, I think is is probably the thing that can be repeated the most. Um, to have a sense of like who your quarterback is 
more shotgun, more up-tempo, quick passing game. It's, it's, I mean, it's interesting to me that it took seven games to get to this mm-hmm. point. Um, you know, the fact that the trial and error is was necessary, um, whether Brian Kelly wanted it to be or not, you know, spoiler alert, he did not. <laughs> but they, they got to this point. Um, it was a hell of a ride to get here, but I think that that is what we saw tonight with Jack Cohn slinging it up tempo. I don't. He was not sacked. Once, uh, who sacked, once. sacked once. That with Tyler Buckner sprinkled in in the red zone. That's what this was supposed to be all along. Um, now it's October twenty fourth at ten twelve or twelve ten in the morning. It's we saw it. Like they got to the point they've always wanted to get to. Absolutely. I thought coming into this game, I think I said this on our midweek podcast, on paper this was a matchup that Notre Dame's offense really needed. I mean, this is a USC front seven that just does not get after the quarterback, does not stop the run well, um, doesn't really do anything well. And Notre Dame took advantage of that. They did what they were supposed to do. Maybe they found their answer on the left side of the offensive line. Obviously still a ways to go there. But 180 yards last time out at Virginia Tech, 170 yards on the ground. This time against USC and Kyron Williams, I mean, what more can you say about the guy? We knew what he was capable of coming into this season. Um, we'd seen flashes of it um, kind of in spite some people around him on that offense this this uh, season. And tonight, with no Chris Tyree to, to kind of split the workload with, 25 carries, 138 yards, two short touchdown runs, and six catches for 42 yards, all of which were very impressive. These weren't um, extensions of the run game, the, the no. way most of his previous – receiving yardage had been accumulated by earlier this season. I mean, the guy established himself furthermore tonight as just a dominant offensive player, and he found just the defense to kind of take out the first half of the season's frustrations on because I thought that offense, you know, we were joking next to each other, first two drives, it's only 7 nothing thanks to the missed field goal, but that were those were back-to-back 70-yard drives, back-to-back, I think, 10-play drives, 10 plays yes. or more. I said i think i tweeted this like have they done this all season long and they had it no <laughs> um they had a 69 yard drive followed by a 70 something yard drive against florida state but they had not shown that kind of sustained offensive success all season long and i don't care about the opponent it's a rivalry game that's important um it was in an atmosphere in an environment like this one which is important and seeing is believing with this team and with this group and that has to make you a lot more uh, confident in this group's ability to, to possibly go 11 and one down the stretch. Kyron Williams, 31 touches, 180 yards tonight. Um, I asked Brian Kelly about this. I asked Kyron Williams about this. I thought that his 38 run, 38 yard run w- to the left where Andrew Kristofik and Jared Patterson double team Patterson then gets to the second level. Like that's not a super complicated maneuver for an offensive line to pull off, but Notre Dame has not pulled it off <laughs> this year. So to me, like that's a that's a very significant development that they can now do that and feel comfortable. Like this is what it feels like to correctly block a run play up the middle um, and have Williams take advantage of it. Because like, look, Williams will get you what seven, eight, nine, ten broken tackles yes. per game. But if you can get him to the second level where the tackle he breaks is six yards down the field, opposed to three yards behind the line of scrimmage, like that's when you have a you got a, a, a functional offense that you can do some big things with. So that I thought was something tonight. Like you, you do have to grade on a curve a little bit with USC. There, it's the worst defense Notre Dame has played all year in terms of yards per play allowed. So I don't want to, I don't want to get carried away. 
and think that like Notre Dame is going to be putting up 40 on people from here on out. But I think Notre Dame at least sort of got a blueprint down on paper about how they can play moving forward. It's not always going to look like it did tonight, but they at least have an identity, which, I mean, God knows how many games I've been here or mm-hmm. at Blacksburg or Tallahassee asking questions about, like, who the hell are you guys? Um, and I think they, they sort of figured out who the hell they are tonight. Yeah, Virginia Tech's performance today at home against Syracuse, which might be the last one of the Justin Fuente era, only further muddied the picture, I think, for Notre Dame fans coming into this game because, like, we say it every week, and that, that first half schedule just gets worse and worse. Uh, Purdue, again, another example today. Like, it's just so hard to, to you know, you wrote a bunch of good midseason content uh, on this team. It was so hard to really define what this team was and what they would be going forward. And, you know, you come into a game like tonight and – we haven't even talked about like quarterback play or quarterback controversy because Jack yeah. Cohn didn't really leave any doubt about that tonight. Tyler Buckner did what he needed to do during his limited action when he came in, and that's the way Notre Dame probably drew it up in the right. preseason. You have your fifth-year senior starter. Um, he can do a lot. There's some things he can't do. You have your future five-star guy as freshman to come in and mix it up. Um, even coming off the ankle injury from two weeks ago, I thought Tyler Buckner um, did exactly what he needed to do, didn't show too much. Um, and, and again, gave Notre Dame the performance that I think th- this team just really needed. I mean, look, coming back on the road at Lane Stadium feels great. Uh, having a huge fourth quarter against Wisconsin to get Brian Kelly the school wins record feels great. I, all those are different categories than playing your rival under the lights coming out of a bye week when there's still a million questions about who this team is and just going out there and, and playing a good football game from start to finish. I just think that goes such a long way with this roster, such a long way with this program and this fan base to calm everyone's nerves, um, not freak out about Kyle Hamilton, not saying that that couldn't potentially be very serious down the road, especially next week against North Carolina, but, like, that's not – like, you, you come out of a Saturday night at Notre Dame Stadium feeling pretty good, um, and I'm not sure you've been able to say that about the way this team's played all season long. No, and, I, I mean, I thought that showed in the atmosphere tonight, right? Yeah, it's like, great atmosphere. Like, there's been a lot of tension here. Um, you know, the only booing I heard tonight was when Notre Dame ran out the clock. <laughs> I, I, I love, by the way. Yeah, I, I, uh, I applaud the booing, if you can do that. But, you know, the, the light show was good yes. uh, between quarters. Like pre-game, lights pre, out. Pre-game was good. Um, you know, like, the musical stuff was good. Like, fans were into it. Um, you know, full disclosure, like, I was ready to write sort of a, like, what the hell happened to the Notre Dame fan base story down the road mm-hmm. here because I – it's been a weird season, and they're not drawing very well. And Brian Kelly's getting asked about marketing and ticket sales. It just that just feels awkward to me. But tonight felt like, oh yeah, this is this was a big game that Notre Dame's fan base showed up for. Um, and it's a reminder, like when I go on the road covering Notre Dame, I'm always covering this version of a Notre Dame game somewhere else. Sure. Like, I don't go to Florida State to cover the Jacksonville State game. I don't go to Purdue to cover like the Eastern Illinois game. Um, Notre Dame's sort of been playing in those games other than tonight. So it was, uh, I, you know, did the atmosphere make a difference? Probably. Um, it's it certainly, at, like, from a recruiting point of view, they had more mm-hmm. than 100 prospects in tonight um, and a bunch of five stars on top of that. So it's, I, I would think tonight, tonight was a really good sort of compliment and dem- to the program and a demonstration of, like, sort of where Notre Dame football, pro- Notre Dame football is as a program. Like, fans showed out. Good atmosphere. Team show, played with an identity. Um, they overcame some adversity. And, 
your rival who, you know, is just a complete shell of itself. You never let them get out of second or maybe third gear with that second touchdown in the fourth quarter. But it, like you said earlier, this never – this was the first game that it never felt like was in doubt. No. And to your, to your point, I mean, I was speaking with someone from USC, um, USC's traveling party during the game, and, and uh, I think he said it was his first game here. And he, he said, you know, great atmosphere, but, like, this is Notre Dame. This is what it's like every week here, right? And I said, for 40 years it was. Yeah. And then at the end of 2019 and the first half of this year, it actually wasn't. Um, you know, again, COVID, ticket prices, there are a million reasons why sure. that can be, and we can explore that in a later story. But, uh, you know, the Toledo game was not the best turnout in the world. Um, the Cincinnati game was a lot of Cincinnati fans, which I, I understand that. I don't think Notre Dame's putting a vaccination incentive program for free tickets if they're already selling the, Virgi- yeah. the, excuse me, the Georgia Tech and the Navy game out. So for me personally, I had a lot of questions about what kind of atmosphere we would get um, for a, a Notre Dame USC game that was probably underhyped nationally. Frankly, probably underhyped. You know, uh, if, if you're ranking important Notre Dame USC games in the sport and the rivalry's history, uh, this is probably closer to the bottom as far as the anticipation coming into it, and understandably so given the state of the Trojans right now. But I didn't really know what to expect, and this was one of the better you know, start-to-finish environments I think I've seen at Notre Dame Stadium in a couple years. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Do you feel like, I mean, the performance tonight sort of kicks... I don't think it restarts Notre Dame as, like, a playoff, like, serious contender. But I do think you come out of Notre Dame time and think, like, oh, yeah, I mean, New Year's 6, 11-1, 10-2, like, all that All that feels a lot more, not just realistic, but probable now, I think, after tonight. Assuming Kyle Hamilton mm-hmm. is is healthy moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I, I think we both predicted, what, one more loss... In the second yeah, half, yeah, yeah, I, I thought they would finish ten and two, which and is reason, it's still like still a reasonable probably, prediction. Pr- still probably gets you to any but of those I would places, say but no, nine and three is unreasonable now. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I, there's nothing I saw through the first six games that made me think like, all right, they're favored in the rest of their games, are going to win them. Like, let's fast forward to ten and two or eleven and one. Um, tonight, I saw the Notre Dame football team I expected to see back in August, um, the team that I thought could go 10-2 and two or 11-1, and one, and the team that like I now feel comfortable and confident going into going against North Carolina next week, uh, facing Virginia in a couple weeks, was a, a very um, uh, open and, frankly, really, really good offense so far. I, I, this was a performance I, I at least needed to see from Notre Dame on both sides of the ball to uh, validate all those record predictions, preseason expectations, even second-half predictions that I think – 
me and you and a lot of people were making, despite the fact we hadn't seen hardcore evidence to suggest mm -hmm. that it was going to come. It, this was a moment where Notre Dame stopped feeling like a coin flip yes. on Saturdays. Like it felt like they took control of the game and just bullied USC out of here. Like USC is an incredibly unsmart team when it comes to the football <laughs> intelligence. Like they are not good. Um, the late. The elbow on Kyron Williams, the 12 men on the field. End of the first half. The, just the end of the first half. I mean, they had a couple PIs where I was like, yeah, it's a little dodgy, but like you make your own breaks. Yeah. Uh, and USC does absolutely none of that. I mean, they finished with what? Um, is it the, nine, nine penalties. Uh, yeah. I, I'm shocked that they did not have 15 penalties <laughs> for like 150 yards because it felt like the penalties that, that they made were just so incredibly dumb. Um, and like even. I hesitate to, to criticize uh, Keaton Slovis for not tr targeting Drake London enough since he had 20 <laughs> targets. But at the end of the first yeah. half, he's friggin' running wide open down the left sideline towards the south end zone. Slovis doesn't see him, and then Slovis ends up trying to run, and that's when the half yeah. runs out. And you're just like, what? Like, how can, it th how can that not be your first alert all the time? I mean... Tip of the hat, though, to, to Drake London. I mean, 20, oh, 20 targets, 15 receptions, 171 yards. Um, and I think Brian Kelly was basically totally fine with how they played him short of the 44-yarder in the fourth quarter where he got behind, I believe, Clarence Lewis way too easily. But um, USC had absolutely nothing in the pass game other than Drake London. Keontae Ingram, uh, he of the 40 degrees, um, finished with 24 <laughs> carries for 138 yards. I mean, he was impressive. He was a big-time recruit when he signed with Texas. Um, so, I mean, USC has some players, and certainly they have some very highly recruited defensive uh, talent as well. But just, like, to say that they're less than the sum of the parts – completely undersells how less they are than the sum of their parts. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you shout out London. I think, you know, put in, put in the performance and the effort forward that he did tonight in a year, in an era, in the NIL era, where you're playing for a team that's now under 500 as interim head coach. Like, I don't think anyone in the world would blame half of USC's roster right now for just, like, quitting or just not, like, being fully invested. And you can't watch Drake London play. And even Keaton Slovis, for that matter, is as off as he was at points tonight and think that those guys weren't playing hard. And, you know, they're they're standing there, taking every question, doing everything out of the locker room post game. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I feel bad for that group of players because clearly, like, they're just not being – like you said, they're less than some of their parts. Like, that's not a player problem. That's a coach problem. Yeah. And, like, USC should not be in the situation that they're in right now. But, uh, you know, Notre Dame missed, what, 46-yard field goal on the first drive? And I remember this when you said the only time they booed uh, was at the end. Jack Cohn got booed when Bo Bauer returned that interception 79 or 80 yards down to the four. And Notre Dame went three and out. And Jack Cohn had time to – do his homework and get his graduate degree and threw it away on third down. He got booed then. And that play and the missed field goal in the first half, like those are two plays in any other game this year. You're thinking, oh, mm -hmm. here we go. Like Notre Dame, you are your own worst enemy. Like, like this is why you guys haven't broken out yet. This is why you haven't played your potential yet. And it just, it did not matter. Like <laughs> for no. every, for every like, one of those facepalm moments Notre Dame had, and they didn't have too many of them tonight, USC had two or three. And 
at the end of the day, like that's just not going to get done on the road in this environment. No, I mean, it's a compliment to you know, where Notre Dame is from a coaching point of view with Brian Kelly and you know, Marcus Freeman, Tommy Reese combination. Like Notre Dame didn't do anything to beat themselves tonight. Um, you know, penalties were scarce. I don't know what they, what they finished four, four with. Four for 39. Four yeah. for 39. Pretty insignificant for the most part. Um, did not retaliate when USC was losing its mind. Uh, and, you know, like, I thought the, the game plans were fairly sound, especially, I thought, like we talked about earlier, what Reese and Cohn did. But, like, if the all-time winningest coach in your program's history can't beat the third interim coach he's faced at USC. And, only three? Yeah, only three. Orgeron Helton was an interim in 2015. Lane and – Sark. Sark. Um, time, yeah. So, yeah, the fifth overall will be sixth clearly next year. But um, it's like Notre Dame is just a really well-run program right now. And, but, like, tonight was a good reminder of that because it did feel like through the first six games it's you are living way too dangerously than you should or need to. But tonight was just not one of those nights. No, not at all. I mean, they did exactly what they needed to do. They've reset the bar for – I think they reset the public's expectations on what they can do in the second half, mm-hmm. particularly not just – I don't want to get greedy here. It's one game. But, like, at this point, like, yeah, you beat North Carolina by three or seven, that's great. You go out and win by 14 or 17 next week against a team that's been a little schizophrenic itself, to say the least, in the Tar Heels. Like, that's showing me something. Like, they showed me something tonight at a victory that they had not showed me in, I think, any of their victories so far in the season. What uh, – you know, I do want to – I don't think Tariq Bracey has come up on many or any of our podcasts. Um, Brian Kelly gave him a, a nod after the game, and he actually came out and did media as well. Um, that's a good. That was a good player development story, especially when you compare it to what USC has in the secondary. It's like five stars all over the place. Right. Um, Tariq Bracey, a highly developmental player, um, three-star prospect that they sort of took late, uh, scouted him because he tracked the ball well as a center fielder. So I thought, like, great ball skills. Well, his first pick wasn't until Virginia Tech a couple weeks ago as a senior. But there was a USC's first drive in the second half. He sets the edge with force in a way that he would have been blown off onto the sideline pretty much each of the last three years. Um, That's a real credit to him and I think a credit to Notre Dame's strength and conditioning staff for developing a player that he can get to that point even if it's later in his career. You know, he ends up having some big plays late, fumble recovery. Um, and I think for a position that, like, if you looked at Notre Dame's roster and said, which position is the most dodgy moving forward, we would both agree it's corner. Mm-hmm. But if Bracey's going to play like that, that changes. And probably at a great time because yes. Sam Howell's coming up. Brennan Armstrong with Virginia is probably the best quarterback you've never heard of. Um, he had, by the way uh, – 396 yards, four touchdowns, no picks today. Yeah. Virginia. <laughs> so, like, Notre Dame's secondary is going to get stretched, which is, one, why they need Kyle Hamilton back. But they needed a third corner to develop where they could play nickel more efficiently. And, man, Bracey absolutely gives them that based on what he showed tonight. Absolutely. And, and that defensive line, I think we've, we've given them their due so far this season. But Isaiah Foskey and Myron Tungavaila Amosa – from the get-go tonight like it just felt like that first USC drive where they just kept going backwards and you knew Keaton Slovis was in for a long night that was a tone-setting drive that again I'm not sure we've seen from this group all season long I mean it was as complete a performance 
and again, without Hamilton, um, uh, under the, the least of ideal circumstances in that regard, you know, I think I think we all see him go down in the first quarter, and we're, you know, your natural instinct instinct is one, how hurt he is; two, is he ever going to come back again? Because the guy's going to be a top ten pick no right. matter what happens. And whatever the injury was that Brian Kelly said, I didn't fully understand the fat pad, the, the fat. Like F A T? Yeah. Okay. The, the Not fat. like you thought it was PH? No, I, I didn't. Okay. I thought you said fat. I, I <laughs> okay. don't, I've literally never heard of that okay. before in my life. So and it's past midnight. So <laughs> my brain might not be functioning. Um, it, it was it was Notre football as it is supposed to be. Um, yeah, they probably should have won by more, but like this is the first time all year you can look at and say, like, you know, you know what? Like, hats off to you guys. Like, I have very little to, to pick apart with this performance, which, again, <laughs> We've spent so much time after every single post-game podcast just wondering what when is this team going to start to look like itself. And tonight it did. And, yeah. And, and that's a good thing. And, I mean, you're sitting there, Notre Dame, they went four straight against USC. That's the longest streak since, I think, 11 that bridged the Faust-Holtz eras in the 80s into the early 90s. Um, Brian Kelly, I believe, now is 8-3 and three against USC, if I'm not mistaken. It's 12 games, right? Yeah, well, no, because they didn't play last year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the most important thing, which I tweeted out just to get a rise out of people, uh, Tommy Reese is 7-1 and one against USC as a player and coach. Uh, so, some, someone in his family texted me when you've tweeted that and said, I believe 8-1. Oh, okay. I'll have to go back and check my facts on that. But I, I did appreciate the reply. Somebody said, as it, it was like, as a USC fan, that would really bother me. Also, as an Notre Dame fan, maybe that bothers me too. Uh, but, hey. And if not for uh... – What's the euphemism I could use for this one? I don't got to worry about it. He does. Yeah. <laughs> Not for Dan Chris fumble in could be. 2011 on the 10-year and one-day one anniversary of the crazy train explosion at Notre Dame Stadium. Perhaps that's an undefeated one. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's uh, it just – Notre Dame feels like a program that, like, they got back to who they are, uh, figured out a little bit of identity for the first time. I mean, it – it's not that long ago when Mike Mayer came into post game and I asked him like, "What's are you guys still searching for identity?" And like he was like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we are." Um, but you know now you know could contrast that tonight. I actually watched Mayer walk off the field like huge smile on his face, throwing his gloves in the stands. Like it's a program that feels good about itself. Like there's whatever tension had built up over the previous six games, I think melted away quite a bit. It's not in the sense that they've arrived in any way, but. They figured out what this next level is, uh, and that is that is a really significant place for this program to be. Stat of the night that like, doesing mean anything, but it's surprising. USC outgaining Notre Dame four twenty four to three eighty three, and averaging. It certainly didn't feel that way, right? Did not feel that way at all. I want. I mean, anytime you get a huge defensive play the way Bauer got it from Notre Dame, that's going to skew things, you know, less so for your offense. But did not feel that way at all. Um, I believe you said multiple times two years ago, Keen Slovis will not go winless against Notre Dame. Yeah, um, well, he's going to. Even if they played last year, USC was not being last no. year's Notre Dame team. No. It, uh, Although they, they won defeat in the regular season. I really, they were if, not beating. Yeah, it's Dame. like the way that game ended two years ago, you felt like, okay, I could see that, where USC is putting well, it together. Well, it's funny you say that because Dante Williams, interim USC coach, came out in his opening statement tonight said something that he's getting lapped at for right now, which is, I don't feel like we lost. We just ran out of time. And look, that's what Red Arbach. No, Vince Lombardi, I think, coined that phrase. 2019 USC Notre Dame actually felt that way. Yes, I agree. I this, agree. Tonight did not. Notre which Dame is interesting. Like, the clock. That game was also 17 3 at half, um, which I was like, okay, I could. It felt like maybe there would be, there could be dynamics like that at play. There was not. Um, 
but you know that it was worth it was worth reminding people in that moment. It was like, all right, Notre Dame's in control. I felt like USC was going to chew up that lead more than they ultimately did. But I mean, credit for Notre Dame for not allowing it. It's like they they went from 17-13, boom, got a stop on that drive. Was the sort of bracey set the edge. Um, there was the targeting on DJ Brown. They got waved off. USC ends up missing a field goal. Boom, Notre Dame goes down, goes down and scores. It's 24-3. So, I mean, that's like – that could have been a 14-point one-player swing with the targeting call on Brown with Hamilton already out. Um, at that point, you're playing Isaiah Pryor, who already did play at safety tonight, moved from linebacker. Um, that that would have been a very difficult spot for Notre Dame to be in, but they avoided it, and then – they showed the resolve to sort of get out the other side and, and shove USC sort of farther down the ladder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know what's interesting is I'm just thinking about this now as I do the math in my head, and reasonable minds can disagree with this, but for as great of a rivalry as this is, and it is, there's nothing like it. Like two two non well, obviously non conference Notre Dame's case, but two big rivals that have no real geographic connection that aren't, you know, conference rivals that play at different times of the year every single year. When's the last time there was a real good, memorable Notre Dame USC game? 2015 was a great game, but Notre Dame ended up winning that game by 10 points when all was said and done, again, with an interim USC yeah. coach. I mean, 13 was a close game. That was maybe the ugliest game I've ever seen in Notre Dame Stadium. Well, the 14, I mean, 10 two game. years ago was a good one. I mean, the stakes were not the same because USC was yeah. not good, but um, it was a dramatic second half. I mean, certainly 2012, there was – and, like, 2018 – Anytime you have, like, you're going to the playoff or you're going to the BCS. There were stakes there, yeah. yeah but as far as, like, a, 15 I thought was a really good bat. Like, USC was winning that game in the fourth quarter, and Notre Dame ends up winning yes. by 10. That was a good back and forth game. And you have, like, the uh, Dory Jackson-Will Fuller hand had, slap to start yeah, the game. Awesome. Like, that sort of moment that has stood the test of time. But, um, yeah, no, I'm with you. It's, um, you know, well, I think a lot of it is, like, you need USC to be better. Yeah, and but I mean, even like yeah, and for, USC has had some rounds of Brian Kelly during this time too. More, yeah, by Brian Kelly more the other way, but um, it's just been interesting rivalry in that regard. Like it's, I, I'm all for giving all the hype that it's gotten because I love it. Um, there's nothing like it, but yeah, I, I guess 19. You know, even though I don't know if ND ever actually trailed in that game and they nope. only won by three. Um, there, there hasn't been a truly. Cl- I mean, nothing's ever gonna live up to 05. I'm not suggesting that, but. <laughs> You know, 09 was a good game, but there just haven't been. I guess 10. Right? Yes. The drop. Yep. The drop. The Harrison Smith pick uh, in the rain. I mean, snapping the streak against USC. Brian Kelly's first win. All that was. I mean, hell, like 11 was dramatic, not in the way that the <laughs> Rain fans would like, but. Crazy that, train, yeah. That was fairly interesting. And then the team almost. The gold. On its head coach the gold the helmets. Uh, oh, yeah. That was right. That's right. That was that's the right. first uh, first of the gold helmets. So. Um, like Kiffin just trolling them endlessly. There's always game. like, look, it's it. Look, there whether USC is good or this, um, there is still stakes for the Notre Dame fan base, which is why you get the atmosphere you got tonight. So it's, um, you know, look, have they had the games like they've had against Stanford in the last ten years? No, mm-hmm. obviously not. But um, there is no doubt that like 
this game matters to Notre Dame a hell of a lot. And it's it's kind of refreshing to see Notre Dame embrace that. Yes. Um, you know, Brian Kelly has done that for a long time. That's not new. But um, the fact that, like, yeah, this is the game that really freaking means more than all the other ones. Because um, it's like, I think for some of the players, you know, they weren't around for the games in the 70s. Like, they don't know what the green jersey game is or, like, you know, the, the winning streak with Holt. So, uh, or, or even the losing streak against Pete Carroll. So that's you. You get the sense of like it connects everyone together here, which is why you get atmospheres like you did tonight. So, you know, again, I have to I have to applaud Notre Dame for putting this all together and like making it feel like a big moment, regardless of how good or bad USC was. Now, you heard Kyle Hamilton say that this week, right? Like I didn't really know it until nineteen, yeah. and that's like wow, like they hate us and we hate them. Like yeah. this is good. This is a good old fashioned college football rivalry. And it, it, it's just always refreshing to see that embrace. And again, you know, to put an exclamation point on it, I loved you Notre Dame fans who booed Brian Kelly for taking me <laughs> up fifteen. And it's funny because we're standing right in that end zone and you could see that coming. You're like, they're gonna get a first down yeah. and run out the clock here, yeah. aren't they? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder I feel like Brian Kelly might have actually like, yeah, I can understand that. Um yeah, that was it. Something tells me Reese wanted to go for it and Kelly was like, Oh, your mic went out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't hear you. I'm the head coach, shut up. Um I yeah, I think it was pretty good likelihood that happened. But uh yeah, I mean overall a very strong and I think potentially predictive performance from Notre Dame tonight um, 31 16 winners over USC it's it felt like not only does it give them something to build on like they actually got something built uh, and that's not something that I think either of us would have said in any performance it just felt like uh, the whole thing felt like a coin flip until tonight when it never did you had ND winning by eight. I had them winning by seven. I kind of wish they didn't score at the end because if they covered the seven and a half point spread thanks to a missed extra point, that'd just be like poetic justice given the state of both these programs right now. But um, Irish betters were able to uh, drive home happy tonight. So congratulations. All right. On that note, we're going to let Fortuna get on the toll road to head back to Chicago. I got plenty of writing to do. Um, but thanks for being with us on this episode of the Shamrock following Notre Dame's 31-16 win over USC. Yeah.